She is the founder and CEO of her own business, In Motion Therapy, and doctor of physical therapy. She has a growth mindset and works to motivate her team members to do the same. She values the hands-on approach to patient care and is an expert in pelvic floor therapy. The bands and clams of common physical therapy treatments were not always helping her patients get better. Coming into contact with Mark Bookout, another physical therapist who introduced her to osteopathic manipulative treatment, changed how she both analyzes and treats her patients. Today, her business in Duluth, Minnesota is growing and she continues to be inspired by others and inspire those around her. Enjoy my conversation with Anita Winkles, doctor of physical therapy. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Osteopathic Manipulative Medicine Podcast, where we share clinical stories and pearls related to osteopathic medicine. Our guest on the show today received her doctor of physical therapy at St. Scholastica in Duluth, Minnesota. She is the CEO of In Motion Therapy, founded in 2007, where therapists are empowered with the resources and education to practice at their highest level and help patients return to their optimum level of function. One of the goals of her business is to educate the community on the values of physical therapy in reducing the cost of healthcare for musculoskeletal conditions. At In Motion Therapy, she has developed a pelvic health program to specialize in the treatment of urogynecological pain syndromes, urinary and fecal incontinence, and men's health. She has taken numerous courses in osteopathic manipulative treatment and will use these techniques to evaluate, diagnose, and treat musculoskeletal dysfunctions. She has worked as adjunct faculty at numerous colleges, as well as working at rehabilitation institutions, including the Mayo Clinic. She has presented on topics such as pelvic ring dysfunction at the university level, both nationally and internationally. She has been recognized for her leadership in the community of Duluth and is a 20 under 40 nominee for Rising Business Stars. Thank you for joining us on the podcast this evening, Anita Winkles, Doctor of Physical Therapy. Thank you, Dr. Green. I appreciate that. And it was uh, great to connect with you at the last Michigan State course uh, that we attended. Yes, that was that was a wonderful course. Very thankful that, yeah, we connected and we met and now we're recording a podcast together. It's exciting. I will uh, admit that this is my first podcast, so thank you for this opportunity to um, have a voice and to share a bit about my 23 years of experience that I've had as a clinician. Yeah, absolutely. And before we get into your journey to a career in physical therapy and starting your business, if we could just get to, to know you a little bit as a person, what uh, what are some of your hobbies outside of your your business and your practice of, of physical therapy? I mean, you're in beautiful Duluth, Minnesota, so I'm sure there's a lot. Yes, there is. You know, Duluth was rated as one of the top outdoor cities to live in in the country, actually, um, via Outdoor Magazine. And I enjoyed sharing with you some of the pictures of our amazing Great Lake and all the hiking trails and biking trails and skiing. There's just so much that we can do living here. Uh, we get a little bit of a bad rap because of our cold weather and that. And I'll admit that April through, you know, March and April are a little less desirable on, for that. But um, yes, being here is a really a great community. What I like doing is, like I said, I like to run. I've done, you know, grandma's marathon several times, half marathon. Um, there's a lot of mountain biking trails that we do. And even just biking on our beautiful lake walk is fantastic. The hiking around here is top notch. Uh, so it's, it's just great. Um, I'm also raising three boys. Uh, they are now 15, 14, and 12. Um, and so we're deep into basketball. Um, we also do some dirt biking and then, of course, some alpine and Nordic skiing. So those are some of the things that we do here. Um, other hobbies that I have is I just love traveling and meeting new people, um, whether it's at a course or um, exploring new places. I'll be taking my son to Boston um, tomorrow and um, heading out. I love traveling both 
um, nationally and inter- internationally and just meeting new people. So yeah. Yeah. I, I have to ask you, so I can add it to my bucket list, your favorite place that you have actually, that you visited, that you've been to. Oh my gosh. Uh, thank you for asking. But, you know, um, I, I think the favorite places are the places that you are at that time, you know, cause there's something mm-hmm. special everywhere you go. Um, you know, I love Europe. It's been uh, over 20 years since I've been to Europe. Um, but I've also done, uh, you know, zip lining in Costa Rica, scuba diving <laughs> in Curacao, um, hike the volcano in Hawaii. So I've mm-hmm. been blessed to be a lot of places. So I guess I almost have to say it's wherever you are at that present moment. <laughs> I see. I see. So I'm going to have to add all of those places to my bucket list now. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. there, there's, a, there's just so much wonder out there to explore and so many new experiences. My husband and I are trying to, you know, get out uh, on a hot air balloon ride, you know, and, oh, and fun. try that too. So fun. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, I feel like new experiences, visiting visiting new countries teaches you so much about your own culture and oftentimes about yourself. So yeah, it's such a such an en- enriching experience to travel. It is sure. absolutely, and you know, you get to um, you know think thoughts in different ways and perspectives that you're like, oh, now I understand. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yes. And then Anita, what about a book recommendation for our audience? Okay. Well, um, you know, I have a couple that I was thinking about. And one, you know, the most recent books that have stood out to me, particularly as a CEO of a company and um, developing leadership um, skills and tools is uh, Carol DeWick, uh, The Growth Mindset. And it's just really, you know, much like our traveling that we were discussing, you know, just having perspective and having an openness of understanding different viewpoints and different lenses and trying to figure out how you can grow through that experience uh, rather than a fixed mindset. And, you know, and just kind of continue to be curious. So that was a good book. Um, I also, you know, I'm a small private practice in a big corporate health system world. And uh, so the next book would have to be by Malcolm Gladwell, which was David and Goliath. And Mm. how to think about obstacles and challenges and overcome them. And I think um, in healthcare, uh, there's many barriers and obstacles that we have, you know, whether it's payer policy changes, um, you know, government healthcare, or corporate systems that try to regulate and not allow people out of their systems, you know, how to have, how to adapt and around them and develop precision, um, such as the story of David and Goliath, uh, more precision and realize that the Goliath doesn't always have to take over, you know, and you can continue to grow and develop if you're smart about it. So, yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, last week, I just got my um, public library card. So I'm Ooh. listening to audiobooks, and I'm going to I'm going to put the David and Goliath on my next book to listen to as I drive to work. Oh, that's great. Awesome. Good to hear. I love it. So what about a movie or documentary for us? You know, I wish I had a specific one that came to mind. You know, I tend to live in historic fiction or, you know, those are other books, but I like to learn about history. And so I don't be, and, and part of that learning about history is more about understanding where we're at today and how we're, how we are today. So I don't have a strong movie or book recommendation or movie recommendation, but that's where my brain lives. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Keep understanding kind of the past to help you understand where you're going. Absolutely. I think that's, that's wonderful advice. Stand on the shoulders of the giants of the past to see further into the future. Oh, I that's think a that's great quote. I think that's what that's that's not that's not Benjamin Green. I think that's St. Augustine. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, well, Anita, let's uh let's dive into kind of your story, your personal story of development. 
how and why did you choose a career in physical therapy? Oh, well, I, I didn't know we were going that deep. In the yeah, therapy. we're going way back, we're way, going way back. Way back. All right. Well, I will say I was a, as a young girl, I grew up on a hobby farm and I had an affinity for things that were broken, animals, you know, the, the duck that had a limp or the cat or the dog or, or whatever creature it was that wasn't quite perfect, you know, and had some issues with movement. And I would always nurture them. And they were, that's where I spent my energy. And I then, as I grew up, I was also a three-sport athlete. Um, so I, I was big into volleyball, basketball, and softball. So I loved to move and move my body. And I was um, also like to use my hands. I was always the person touching or massaging someone um, and, you know, helping them feel better. I just had that draw to that. And so when you bring all of that together, it just kind of became who I am and who I was designed to be. And I'm, I feel very fortunate that I kind of found my calling at an early age. And so right when I started college, I knew that I wanted to go into PT, chiropractic, sports medicine, and I just settled on the PT and just kept going. And I continue to try to keep growing in my skills. Now, what about did becoming an athletic trainer ever cross your mind? Uh, no, you know, I wanted to go to a higher level. Like I, I appreciate what athletic training can do um, for sports and athletes, but the scheduling and the lifestyle wasn't you know, real conducive because there's also a life outside of your career, which is your family. And, you know, you can have more structured hours. I like the idea of concrete medicine. Um, and that's why I chose PT. And, and I don't want to discount chiropractors by any sense of the term at all, but it fits into kind of a more solid allopathic model. Um, PTs, if I wanted to work part-time, I could, so it just kind of seemed to be a well-rounded career. I did think I was going to go into more neuro. Um, I was inspired by Christopher Reeves and spinal cord injuries. And so that drew me um, also into the profession. And there's so much diversity of what a physical therapist can do. You could work in a nursing home. You could work in a hospital setting. You could work with neurology, lymphedema. Like the broadness of our skill set is pretty diverse. You could live anywhere and find a position. Right. And, and what would you say are some of the big differences between an athletic trainer and a physical therapist? Okay. Just to draw uh, that distinction. That's a, good, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think there is growth that the athletic trainer industry is doing and it, that's going to be a hard question for me to at, you know really extrapolate on other than mm -hmm. athletic trainers are great first responders mm -hmm. for taping someone splinting someone doing the really acute zero to three day management you know and then also keeping them on the court or the game I would say physical therapy therapists can dive a bit deeper into the whole neuromusculoskeletal system um, in treating um, the injury beyond by mobilizing the joint that got impacted, restoring dynamic motor control, um, releasing neurodynamic tension. So I think um, the skill set of physical therapist is a bit more broader in getting to the source of the, the condition rather than just keeping them in the game. Um, you know, and I welcome a deeper dive into conversation with an athletic mm -hmm. trainer, you know, into that um, from their perspective, because I haven't uh, lately looked at what the athletic training curriculum is. I see. Okay. And so you're pretty dead set on in your younger years becoming a physical therapist. You've narrowed it down to that. Was physical therapy school everything that you hoped it to be? 
Uh, that is a, a good, very good question. You know, you don't know when you're going through the school. And I felt like I, I had, you know, it's like getting your driver's license. Um, my son is 15. He's, you know, practicing driving. <laughs> you know, and it's learning the rules of 10 and 2. And it's learning all the rules of, you know, when you put on your blinker, how you make that turn. But as we get older and we've been driving for a long time, we're not on 10 and 2 anymore. And I think my career really my education really gave me a foundation to solid foundation to practice safely and um w and really developing critical thinking what i struggled with early in my career was you get out in the practice setting of physical therapy and there's such a broad range of how people evaluate and treat clinically within our profession and i think that's where physicians sometimes get frustrated by us is because there's such a broad range of clinical skill set. And um, we were talking, uh, you know, at the MSU conference, uh, and I think you overheard this conversation, Ben, where it was, uh, or Dr. Green, was, you know, no more bands and clams. Like, let's just be done with <laughs> bands and clams. And that just sits with me because there's just a lot of therapists that that's all they do is hands on or um, exercise and bands and clams. You know, if your glute medius is weak, we got to strengthen it. But when I practiced and I saw this early on in my career that people were just walking people through a series of exercises. And I was like, I didn't go get my advanced degree to be a glorified personal trainer, massage therapist. I wanted to figure out why and dive deeper into it. And so I feel what happened from graduating and taking the comprehensive board certification and going into clinical practice was um, finding there was no real good entry into the profession where you had confidence and mastery of complex evaluation of the musculoskeletal system and, and then nonetheless how to treat it. And so we had this broad knowledge, this great knowledge but the application of it, and I, that's supposed to be done through your clinical skills or your our clinical rotations, but there was too much diversity in, in what we did in those rotations that there was no clear path. And I think it's getting better now because we're getting more advanced certifications in that, but I don't, I didn't feel like it was that it fully, my entry-level degree fully prepared me for where I'm functioning today. So essentially, Anita, kind of what you're saying is that in PT school, you, you receive this very, very broad knowledge about the musculoskeletal system. But when it came to applying this knowledge in the clinical setting, because the knowledge was so broad, it was difficult to figure out how to apply it. Very well said and very concise. Perfect. <laughs> and and yes. when you say when you say broad knowledge, are are we talking about techniques? Are we talking about uh, what exactly do you mean by the broad knowledge? Well, I think the broad knowledge is you know with the coursework again, physical therapists mm -hmm. we we can treat neuro after someone's had a stroke. We can treat somebody that's been acutely hospitalized, um, someone post-surgically um, after they've had a knee replacement. Um, you can go in and get somebody moving after they've had a liver transplant. Um, so there's a, or you work in a nursing home facility. So you have to have the education of geriatrics, you know, musculoskeletal, neuromuscular, um, you know, lymphatics, you know, now there's pelvic floor that wasn't taught when I went through the program, but there's such a broad knowledge of, and, and it is challenging to be like, how do you rein this in and treat that one patient in front of you? And I think it, that gets overwhelming for new clinicians, um, PTs, DOs, MDs, as you come out, because you know, this complexity of the body, but now how do you simplify it? to treating somebody. Mm -hmm. So, it, yeah. 
is that part of the reason why you went and got your doctorate in physical therapy? Yes. Well, so a couple of reasons. Yes, I graduated with my master's in 1999. And then 2010, I think I did my doctorate. Uh, there was a couple of components for obtaining that doctorate. Um, and one being, I, I had founded my clinic in 2007. And so I have what's called uh, FOMI. I'm making this up, but fear <laughs> of missing information. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't like when I don't feel like I have the resources to act, get that information. And so with the clinical doctorate, there was more education on pharmacology, imaging, um, you know, understanding the healthcare system at large. And that so going back to get that doctorate, I wanted to obtain that information so I had a better understanding of how to provide clinical care and enter in those clinical discussions about imaging and being a better resource and advocate for my patients, whether it came to health policy issues. So the clinical doctorate helped with that. And secondly, as a learner, it being one of my top strengths, I'm just hungry for as much information as I can. And I wanted to be at the top of my profession and not just with a master's degree. And lastly, I wanted the opportunity to, if I was calling a physician and I really need to connect with someone, I could say I'm Dr. Winkles. <laughs> mm -hmm. So sure. it's kind of a threefold uh, reason that I chose to get that clinical doctorate. But primarily I have FOMI, a fear of missing information. <laughs> <laughs> I, see. I like that. I like that FOMI. <laughs> Like the, the knockoff of FOMO. Yes, like and I have that too, I'll admit. That's why yeah. I keep exploring uh, the world <laughs> around me. <laughs> yeah, well, that's great. I think that's great. Um, you're, you're, you're practicing the book by Carol DeWitt, The Growth Mindset Always, which is amazing <laughs> and incredible. Yeah, well, thank so, you. So did you, when you do a, a doctorate in, in physical therapy, do you do a doctoral thesis? Um, I did not have to do a doctoral thesis. I did a okay. lot of extra work in forming a presentation for pelvic floor um, dysfunction and education of that. And I use that during my lectures that I've done, um, guest lecturing at St. Scholastica and Lake Superior College um, and stuff like that. So I did a lot of research with, on that. Um, but no, in my undergrad, I did a thesis on running analysis and the beautiful bridge between pelvic floor and running is understanding everything travels through the pelvis. And if you don't have good stability through your pelvis, you're going to throw off the whole kinetic chain. And so it's kind of fun to see how my younger years and my older years as a clinician merge together in that yeah. way. Yes. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And that was actually my my follow up question to the, my previous question was during your doctorate, did you dive into the pelvic floor? Because I saw that that was it seemed to be a reoccurring theme throughout your career and your talks and your lectures um, on the pelvic floor. Yes. Well, this so I, I will be honest because <laughs> I don't know how not to be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that so I graduated in PT school in December of 99 and that was a challenging time because the balanced budget act that happened in 97 had impacted jobs and positions in the profession and so it was actually somewhat difficult to get a PT degree or, or to get your first full-time job and so I had worked casually at several places and I went in for an interview um, with my one of my former employers, and they wanted to know if I would be interested in doing pelvic floor. And I was a little bit, you know, I had to pause and think to myself, because we had no education in pelvic floor uh, back in 99 when I graduated. But again, I've got tend to have a growth mindset. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. You know, we all have a shoulder, we all have a you know, but men have a penis, women have a vagina, 
anatomy's anatomy, I mm-hmm. can do this. And so it wasn't a drive of mine during PT school, but now after doing practicing within the pelvic floor for 22 years, I can't imagine being a clinician without this knowledge base um, because there is so much intricacies that goes through the pelvic ring when we move that having a deeper clinical understanding of the pelvic floor is um, instrumental to my practice. Yeah, I'm, I guess I'm surprised that in your physical therapy training, they didn't go over the pelvic floor. That, again, it's amazing what happens in 23 years. And that's where when I moved back to Duluth and was connecting with some of the faculty, that's when I got invited to do some lecturing because there was maybe one PT at the time in our entire region of 120,000 people that was doing pelvic floor. And I think there's um, there's a book called uh, Pelvic Power. And my husband kind of jokes with like power to the pelvis, you know, and <laughs> like there, it's, um, it, it's amazing how many people don't really clinicians don't really understand pelvic floor. And when I lecture, so I'm, you know, been practicing for 23 years, I could have another 20 years of practice. And so you start thinking that I'm not that old, but I'm old enough. But there's a lot of people that are still practicing that have had no knowledge base of pelvic floor anatomy, whether you're an MD, DO, or PT, it just wasn't really talked about or addressed other than, oh, do a Kegel. Mm-hmm. And so when the research shows 40 to 60% of people do Kegels wrong and actually do bearing down techniques. And so there needs to be, it needs to be more normalized and it's now becoming more trendy. You're aware of the pelvic floor, but there's a lot of people that really don't understand the complexities of how pelvic floor, whether it's scar tissue from a C-section um, or trauma, um, during delivery and causing, you know, tearing a third or fourth degree tear, how that impacts how we move through our, our body and affects our lumbar spine. There's some research that shows that pelvic floor dysfunction to low back pain is more clinically relevant than obesity is to back pain. Really? That's, that's fascinating. You know, and so I, I just really, want to, you know, try to elevate and get people to think, you know, and this is anatomy, you know, and I had one clinic medical doctors because I was starting this research project with St. Scholastica. And so we were trying to recruit patients for the study. And she goes, well, isn't that what you do invasive uh, for pelvic floor? Because I, I um, treat intravaginally mm-hmm. and, um, and I'm thinking to myself, well, isn't, anesthetizing them and putting and having surgery or altering their chemistry with pharmacology, isn't that more invasive than me gaining consent, looking a patient in the eye, talking them through the anatomy mm-hmm. and, um, and evaluating their pelvic floor, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think it's how we look at it and how we need to demystify the other components with pelvic floor um, that people don't necessarily appreciate, but if you don't understand it from a biomechanical perspective, then it becomes too personal. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that's, that was really fascinating what you just said. And I think in, in medical school, we learn about the muscles of the pelvic floor and the ligaments there, but we, you learn about, about it in a static state. Like we don't Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. learn about it from a dynamic perspective. Yes. And I think that would be fascinating. I think we, I know you're so busy, but (laughs) we need to bring you in. We need to have you zoom into our residency and give us a talk about the the pelvic floor and and how it functions dynamically. I think that would be, that would be phenomenal. Well, I I would love that. That would be a dream because that's, you know, a lot of, like I said, my doctoral work that I did and then work that I just want to get that information out there and and present that information about this is movement. And then, you know, they talk about, you know, there's the five S's of the pelvis, you know, it's structure, you know, and support sphincteric, 
sexual stability and it's the sump pump, you know, and if we can just kind of wrap our heads around that, it just kind of takes the other components out of it. Um, you know, the emotional pieces uh, mm -hmm. that go into pelvic mm -hmm. floor and uh, there's so much benefit to integrating this into clinical practice. And, and oftentimes you don't even need to work intra vaginally. You can mm -hmm. do a lot of stuff externally and just having that knowledge base and the conversation about how bladder health works, you know, mm -hmm. and how the bladder needs to expand and it needs to be able to contract and influences of the nervous system on the bladder um, with urgency or frequency, those mm -hmm. types of things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I would welcome a conversation if anybody would uh, invite me to the table. Yeah, that'd be that'd be fantastic. I I'm going to talk to Dr. Gedeke and hopefully we can make it happen. Great. Thank you. Um, so you you founded this small you, you call it small um, business called In Motion Therapy in 2007. What what was the the impulse behind that? Um, well, so there's a, a couple of things. First off, um, I was blessed. I had my grandmother was an accountant and she was, she owned an accounting business inside her home for all the rural farmers in Todd County, Minnesota. And so she was very smart. And my mother was also, you know, she had multiple different side businesses along with her full-time career. And so I kind of was exposed to a sense of entrepreneurship at, at a very early age. And I then, um, as I made it through PT school and I was finishing up my last clinical, my sister and I started coming up with the idea of maybe I should open up my own private practice. And uh, so my sister and I, and I was running marathons at the, more marathons at the time. And um, we just like the term in motion. You know, I just want to see people in motion. So uh, my sister was more into IT. And so she actually created my domain name back in 1999 of in motion therapy. And then, you know, you need time and years of experience to get under your belt before you even think about a business. And so I had had enough time and then I was engaged to be married and I talked to my husband or my now husband. And I'm like, what do you think about me opening up a private practice? <laughs> and um, he then, um, his dad had owned a pest control business. And so he understood the complexity of family business. And so He's like, go for it. And so I reached out to the chair of the PT program. Her name was Dr. Denise Wise. And I asked her, what do you think? Do you think I can do this? Is this viable in Duluth, Minnesota and getting a perspective of the environment in my community? Because I had just moved back to Duluth in 2004 or five. And she goes, Anita, if anybody can do it, it's you. And uh, that gave me the kind of the seal of approval to move forward with opening my own business. Um, so I'm, and we've just continued to grow and expand. Uh, this week, we just hired our ninth clinician with our practice. So it's been nice. an exciting journey over the last 15 years. And now you have two locations. Yes, this um, past May, we opened up our second location um, about six miles from our, what I call our legacy location, so. Okay. And what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned opening up your own business? Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm sure there's many, <laughs> but maybe if you could just name a few. I, I, I will try to keep it summary. Um, number one, I had no background in business, none. I was so naive just about business. So I would recommend getting some business footing under your feet um, first <laughs> and understanding payer policy and payer contracts. I didn't know that there was like co-payments with health uh, Medicare patients. Um, number two, I would say um, learn leadership skills um, and just really understanding how to be a leader, know your mission, vision, and values and, and really distinguish that. And number three, surround yourself with great people. I think it's really important. I've got two peer groups that I 
connect with on a regular basis. And uh, they're my cheerleaders and they're the people that kind of pick me up when I fall down and, um, and I can talk through some hard um, decisions with. So it's, uh, it, there's a lot to learn. And um, again, going back to growth mindset, keep growing. Um, nothing is stagnant and just continue to, de- to develop. I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. Would, if we went back in time, would you, would you still start your own business? Yes and no. Sometimes I'm living my dream and sometimes I'm living my worst nightmare, I'll be honest. <laughs> um, but absolutely. You know, the coolest thing that I got um, uh, uh, two years ago, my son had to write something for school uh, because you wonder how much does your business take away from your children and your family? And my son wrote this thing about you know, it is really cool that I own my own business, that people want to come in and see me and that, um, and so he, he recognizes that I'm, that this is unique and that his mom is doing something that is far bigger than just doing a job. And I, I hope and pray that that passes down to them. So in that case, absolutely. I a hundred percent am glad that I do that. Um, but sometimes I will admit I am tired. <laughs> yeah. Owning your own business and raising three kids and being um, a, a wife. Um, yeah. That sounds like quite a lot. Yes. Yes. I came up with the mission statement, uh, Ben, when I was 19 and my mission is to inspire others and to be inspired by others. And, you know, you just try to, you know, keep growing and expanding to something beyond what you ever knew that you could do. And I feel that this has been that for me. And so truthfully, I will say I am living the dream. It's just not always rainbows, butterflies and unicorns. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's fantastic. And I think, you know, as we, as we get old and maybe towards the end of our, our lives, when we look back on our younger days and, the challenges that we face, you know, if I can look back and be proud of those difficult moments and the struggles and and what I've accomplished, you know, I think it's, it's worthwhile. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So you also have taken numerous courses in OMT and osteopathic manipulative treatment at Michigan state. Um, What, how did you, how did you learn about OMT? Well, I will say, um, I'm, I'll share just a little bit uh, about my background. So after I was practicing as a PT and doing more bands and clams than I would probably like to admit, <laughs> I, <laughs> I actually left the industry and became a pharmaceutical rep for a year. Um, sometimes you think the grass is greener on the other side and, and stuff like that. But Did I, you just get fed up with being a physical <laughs> therapist? You just got tired of doing the routine bands and clams and you're like, I'm, I'm done. I, well, there was many other things because, you know, the grass is greener and you get to take positions out to Timberwolves basketball games, or you get to do cool things that look more exciting than, yes, bands and clams. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, um, and, you know, and you just, you know, there was a little bit more financial incentive in that industry than there was in PT. And so I, I did the pharmaceutical, uh, thing for a year. And that's what brought me back to Duluth, Minnesota, after living in the Twin Cities for about four years. And, um, and then after I realized that the that position was not for me, it was not filling my bucket, it wasn't creating the value that I felt I was called to do um, for my life and, and the, the knowledge base that I had in my own background. And I was reading the purpose driven life at the time. And I just felt I needed to go back to being a PT. That's who I'm designed to be. And at that time, I was um, I joined the practice that they were doing some osteopathic manual therapy techniques, and um, and so I got exposed and I was introduced to uh, Mark Bookout, and I couldn't be more grateful and thankful as to how he impacted my career, my practice, and all the people that I surround myself with. Um, Mark Bookout um, was a adjunct, or he 
um, worked and developed the exercise prescription class at Michigan State. And he inspired me so much. And I, um, I joke that I wanted to be the Mark of the North. <laughs> and, he was also a physical doctor of physical therapy or? Um, he is a physical therapist that has his functional manual medicine certification and a lot of other numerous certifications. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But people would travel all across the country to go see Mark. Um, and he has now since retired his practice. I think he's still actively involved um, in mentoring um, some clinicians, but he he left a mark on my life that um, I will I will always appreciate. And um, I continue to want to pass down the legacy that he created for the physical therapy profession. Yeah. And where did where did Mark learn about? Did he? I guess he learned about OMT at Michigan State University. I'm guessing. I don't know the how he first um, became inspired to that direction, um, but he certainly has inspired a lot of people. And um, I think we were kind of showing you some um, pictures of Mark when we were there at the last class and some of his techniques and that type of stuff. But if you talk to Carl, uh, Dr. Steele, and um, Dr. DiStefano, um, they, I'm, they can pass on some great Mark Mark stories. Mark stories, yeah. So what what was it about Mark using OMT that, that inspired you, or I guess changed how you treated people in, in physical therapy? Um, that's a very good question. And, you know, when I went to my first, um, book out seminar and I liked the specificity of the assessment and also the treatment, um, and diving deeper into if, if the glute medius is weak or the quadratus lumborum is hypertonic, well, why, what, what's the driver? What, what's causing that glute med to be weak? Is it a se um, segmental dysfunction at L4 and L5 that's inhibiting the nerve root? Is it because they can't effectively dorsiflex and um, through their gait with walking and that's turning the glute off? Are they activating the IT band because of some instability um, in other parts of their body. And so Mark really got you to think about the why. Um, and I, that's what I valued so much. And that resonated with me because I don't, I don't like an, just an answer. I want to know the more information behind um, why something's not working. Um, so it just, it just made sense to me. Mm -hmm. And then that's, that's when you started taking these courses at Michigan State and you've continued taking them. Yes, absolutely. I took my first book out class, or no, my first Michigan State back in, I think, 2005 or six. So it's been, it's been a, quite a journey. And um, yeah, I keep, I'm just hungry to keep growing and refining um, my techniques. And, and what, what kind of impacts have you seen in your patient population when you started incorporating the OMT philosophy, I guess, and techniques that you were learning? Mm, you know, I, I just think it, they get better. Yeah. You know, they, they get better. They appreciate the specificity. They, um, that they're empowered because they're like, wow, you put your hands on me. You're figuring out why this hurts. And then I'm prescribing them the tools so that they can move through their body better. And I, and so I think the patients feel cared for and they appreciate that. Oh my gosh, the reason that they're you know, having symptoms down their leg is coming because they can't move through their big toe because they have arthritis in there. And if you mobilize the big toe, now they can run and, and it just keeps them quote unquote in motion. And it just keeps moving this positive energy forward. <laughs> yeah. Would you say that you using 
the osteopathic manipulative treatment techniques has set your business apart from other physical therapy businesses in Duluth and the surrounding areas? I think absolutely. Um, I think the tools have really, because I look at the body as a whole and, you know, and I, I, I like to consider it like an organism, you know, and looking at what does the organism need to do to be well and looking at it from a biomechanical perspective, a neurodynamic perspective, a fascial perspective, and then just a motor control movement and dynamic stability. And, you know, and if you look at the courses that Michigan State um, offers for ONT, you know, appreciating the cranial um, osteopathy and, and the dural system and how that affects movement um, and neurodynamic elasticity, appreciating um, how the specificity of understanding segmental dysfunction in the spine um, to the fascial release techniques and how important that is to, you know, extremities and joint mobilization to, you know, motor control retraining um, through the exercise prescription class. I think it makes it a very well-rounded, systematic and systemic approach to care as opposed to someone has a rotator cuff injury and their infraspinatus is weak. And traditionally, you go and you strengthen the infraspinatus um, with, with, you know, a little weight, um, get the lower trap firing. But there's no deeper dive into why is the lower trap inhibited in the first place? Well, because it could be a segmental dysfunction at T7 to T9 that's impacting that lower trap to downwardly rotate, which if that's not happening, you're going to end up with some tendonitis or tendinopathy. And now your rotator cuff, you're not going to be moving it normally. And so it's going to get weak. Well, we got to start with the center first. We got to start mobilizing the thoracic spine and getting that moving. And, um, and rib motion um, is an integral part of that. But without that really whole body understanding of connections of multiple systems, I think we as clinicians, as physical therapists are missing the full spectrum of care that we could be providing our patient. And the care is only gonna be short-lived as opposed to trying to really retrain movement, whole movement patterns um, that OMT does. Mm -hmm. I hope that made sense. Yeah, yes, it does. And you know, a question that I continuously ask myself is, and I'm gonna ask you this, let's say the glute medius is not firing. You know, and, you know, we're thinking maybe there's some part of the body that's inhibiting the firing of this muscle. Where, where do you go? Do you go, do you look <laughs> at L4, L5? Do you look at then sacral mechanics? You talked about the foot not being able to dorsiflex, but could, which could potentially turn off the glute med. Like, I feel like there's so, so many moving parts in the body. Yeah. How do you know where to go? That, that's look? a great question. And something that, especially with my newer clinicians that we bring on board, it can be so complex. I joke about all the 2000 parts and the multiple movements and six degrees of freedom that every joint needs. How, how do we go about evaluating a patient? And I learned a technique through the Brawl Institute or actually more through Mark Bookout which is called listening and loading. And so I tend to go through the body in a way of trying to figure out what region do I need to start with? And, you know, is it the pelvis that's causing misfiring or the QL and driving the shoulder? Or is it the sacrum that's impacting the glute med? Or, you know, all the, again, all the different parts. But so this loading looks at an ability for the joint or region of the body to allow for compression and decompression of movement. So how can the system coil and recoil? And I, and I start with that loading way to determine, is this an upper quadrant or a lower quadrant issue? Or is it a cranial issue? And then from there, I, I, I keep that in my brain. And then I go through a movement, a mobility assessment. And um, so 
once I determine that quadrant and I will go through like a hip screen in all planes of motion, a spine movement, I'll screen the lower extremities um, and then I'll look at some motor control. And then that, I just keep driving deeper and deeper into trying to finding that dominant restrictor that's driving because sometimes when you can find that dominant restrictor, other things unravel much quicker. And that's the effectiveness and the specificity that OMT can really provide. Uh, because it can be very complicated and overwhelming when you first start. And so you have to figure out how you can narrow in using a systematic assessment of treatment rather than just saying, oh, you have glute medius things. Let's figure out, okay, let's do these five exercises and do these five manipulations. That's hard to say because sometimes I just treated somebody that had a fodder restriction, flexion, adduction, internal rotation, and I mobilized their ankle and their fodder got better. <laughs> and right. so learning how to load um, how to listen and load through joints is an important technique and skill set to have because that can help drive you into where that compensation is happening. Can you talk a little bit about that, Anita? What, what does it mean to load and listen to a joint? Okay. Okay, that's a, that's a good that... one. Um, you know, my first thing that came to mind, and this was actually someone had written at Michigan State about this a while back, and I actually wrote an a lo article, article locally that was published, but it was art. I do art every day, or I look for art every day. It's asymmetry. So you try to look is, um, if you look at range of motion, is it symmetrical or asymmetrical? Um, and then after you identify symmetry or asymmetry, and the I have in my head, I want 95% symmetry. And then you look at restriction. Does the tissue have um, an ability to accept the load to coil and recoil? Or does it feel rigid, bony? Um, is there a lack of elasticity? Um, and then I look for tissue texture abnormality. Does it feel hypertonic or hypotonic? Does it feel like it's firing and splinting? Or does it feel flaccid and weak? And so I kind of systematically look for art in my in my treatment assessment and that helps me understand the ability of how it moves how it feels and then how it controls motion i see okay that's really I hope helpful. That was helpful yeah that's very very helpful perfect well i also want to be very respectful of your time but i do want to ask you one last question okay so what advice as a doctor of physical therapy who has worked with many clinicians, other physical therapists, allopathic and, and osteopathic, DOs and MDs, what advice do you have for primarily, I guess, osteopathic medical students who are going through their, their training and, you know, there, there are some that are dragging their feet about the manual therapy techniques and OMT. What, what advice would you have for them? Well, first off, we need you. We want you. <laughs> please. I, I think, you know, when you look at total healthcare costs, and I mean, and so I'm going to go on a little tangent, if you don't mind, Dr. Sure, Green. sure. Um, but total healthcare costs, so nearly 20%, actually, when I was doing my mini MBA in healthcare management, 18% of the GDP is for healthcare. Musculoskeletal is in the top three. And when you look at um, the missing link to really helping identify what, where the problem is coming from, rather than relying on imaging, or injections to manage the pain or to surgery to treat the condition. You know, there's so much that if we could get early on preventative restorative healthcare, that'd be beneficial. And osteopaths are, are really advantageous to do that because you can do the diagnostic medical screen and the biomechanical screen. And in the current allopathic uh, practice, from what I understand, there's not a lot of allopathic MDs 
that can do a good musculoskeletal assessment. Um, so we, we need more of you out there. We know that early access to physical therapy can reduce healthcare costs by 50%. And so if we had more um, doctors out there um, practicing in this manner, we could really help to reduce total healthcare costs. Um, and so I think there'd be great value in that. Um, as you continue to practice, um, some words of advice is just always be curious to uncover the why and don't just assume you know the answer and keep digging deeper into the, their condition, both subjectively and objectively. Um, that's an important part when you're um, practicing OMM um, techniques and assessment and treatment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes. It takes a lot of humility to do that, but I think it's so important. I think um, if you if you are humble and realize that, hey, I don't know all the answers, then hopefully that uh, will lead to that drive and that curiosity and that desire to read, speak to people who are more experts in your field and, and grow that way. So yeah, that's wonderful advice. Now, I know you're, aren't you looking for a osteopathic physician who practices manual medicine to possibly join your practice? Um, yes, I, I wouldn't necessarily designate join my practice, though I'd like to find a partnership of some sort um, with a DO um, and that has a great understanding of osteopathic medicine because there's not a lot up in the Duluth um, Twin Ports region. So we would be happy. And I think our, our community is hungry for someone that would be comprehensively evaluating their musculoskeletal and also their medical condition. So it would be great. And it's a wonderful place to live if you like being in the great outdoors. Um, there's only two challenging months that happen in the spring, but if you like winter <laughs> and you love summer, um, there's perfect Duluth days to just enjoy our beautiful community. Yeah, and then people can just schedule their vacations in March and April. Exactly. You know what? That's what we do. Absolutely. That's, that's how it rolls. So yeah. it's, it's a really fun place to be. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Anita, for your time. If people would like to reach out to you with questions or comments, how can they contact you? Um, my email um, is awinkles, A-W-I-N-K-E-L-S at inmotiontherapy.com. Or they can call my office and leave a message. Um, my admin team is very good at getting information to me at 218-727-1180. 218-727-1180. And yes, I'd be happy to invite more conversation, particularly about the power of the pelvic floor in musculoskeletal dysfunctions. Um, you know, just one more tidbit about that is just understanding the complexity of the fascial network of the pelvic floor. Other things that I didn't highlight is the visceral fascial release techniques that I do that I've learned outside of Michigan State. Um, the recognition of the nervous system as it, the nerves as it travels through the pelvis that can get um, trapped in scar tissue from C-sections, appendectomies, and how it, that affects our musculoskeletal movement. And then just the appreciation of how emotional trauma and um, abnormal breathing can affect um, the pelvis. So there's so much of that pelvic floor that does impact movement um, in, for our health, our overall being. So yeah. just a, one more plug about that. Yeah, that, that's great. That's great. And we're, I am going to do my best. Actually, we're, we'll make it happen to zoom you <laughs> in, I'm sure, to a, a residency didactics about the pelvic floor. So yeah, thank you so much. I'll include your, your email in the show notes so that people can, can contact you with any comments or questions that they may have. And thank you so much for your time and sharing your, your career experience, your growth over the years. And um, thanks for being an inspiration as well. Well, thank you kindly. I really appreciated meeting you, Dr. Green. And uh, best of luck as you grow and, you know, inspire those around you as well.
Yeah. Thank you so much, Anita. You have a great evening. You too. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Listening to how an individual who has been curious throughout their career and has not been afraid to put in the work to grow is very inspiring. Thank you, Anita, for a great conversation and being true to your motto, inspired by others and inspiring others. Please leave a review for the podcast in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and share the episodes with your family and friends. If you'd like to reach out to Anita, you can find her contact information in the show notes. And we'll see you in the next episode.